Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to another edition of Backstage Chicago. I'm Lisa Fielding, your host from WBBM News Radio. And today we're at a very exciting, fun place, historic as well. We're on the fourth floor of the Fine Arts Building, but we're going to be going down to the third floor where the Chicago Puppet Studios are in cooperation with the Chicago International Puppet Theater Festival. And I gotta tell you, this was something I didn't even know was going on, so we're here to tell everyone how, how cool this event is, and I've got two wonderful guests with me here. We have uh, founder, Blair Thomas, and Jarrell L. Henderson, who is a puppeteer, who's gonna tell us all about how you got into the business, and he might bring a little furry friend out <laughs> to join us later on. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Blair, let's start from the very beginning. The very, the beginning? very beginning of Blair. <laughs> what? Okay, tell us about yourself. And I always ask people like you, the artists, how did you become um, involved in this amazing industry? Uh well, I grew up. Well, uh, it, there's a, a lot of versions of the story, but in brief, I grew up in Alabama in a very small town that didn't have a movie theater, and uh, I, I had the ideas at one point to make a, a, a little puppet show using my stuffed animals, and uh, it was probably only an afternoon, but it captured my imagination, and I got some Christmas gifts of marionettes, and then I just started to collect and make a little company and performed at churches and birthday parties and schools with uh, little invented plays on stages that I built and with all my friends who I coerced into participating. And, and uh, I, you know, we, we were actively touring for about three years and making work. Bef- this is all before high school. And, uh, and then when I got into high school, I left puppetry behind as a, as a thing of my childhood. And it wasn't until I came to Chicago and was working in the theater, uh, aspiring to be a, a director in the Actors Theater and finding myself disillusioned in the late 80s with what, what the theater could happen, could offer, you know. And so I, there was something about sitting in the general auditions at the Goodman Theater uh, as an assistant for another theater, watching another actor walk out onto the stage and walk to the center of the stage and deliver a monologue and then walk off the stage. And I could find out so much more about the actor, the way in which they walked to the stage than when they deliver their monologue. And I was like, there must be something more interesting to the theater can has it has so much potential. What is it? What is it? Why isn't it not happening? And then I had the opportunity to make a piece. And I thought, I'm going to 
try to make a puppet show and I had no idea what I was doing. I got a balloon, I inflated it and I covered it with paper mache, like flour and newspaper. And I put it on a cardboard box and I made this puppet and I made this show. And then uh, I was building this show and the, uh, uh, and the director of the theater said, you've got to come up with a name for your theater. And so I said, uh, I just said, I'll call it the Red Moon Theater. And that was in 1989. And that started me entering into what I would describe a, an entire garden, fantastically, wildly overgrown and with such riches that I could spend the rest of my life here. And here I am. What was that first show? It was called You Hold My Heart Between Your Teeth. How? What? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's so, elaborate on that a little. <laughs> uh, well, yes, it would. It was. It was. There was a. The initial image was the puppet had a had her heart and a hole cut in it. And the first action was this shadowy figure came and grabbed the heart and ran away. And she yelled, "Stop that man! He's stolen my heart!" Wow. And that was the beginning of my career as a puppeteer. Where did that come from? It's something. Is yeah, it that, though that story was, I was just a transference story of myself. I was telling a love story and I made this. And so she, then it was a detective story. She was just trying to find the thief who had taken her heart. And so she went to a detective and she went to a, the, the, anyway, there was all these consult yeah. consultations and it was a fun little show. Very nice little piece that had all the kind of signature elements of giant puppets and small puppets and shadow puppets. And, and there were children performing and adults performing in live music and all this kind of stuff that became very much the, 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 the materials that Red, Red Moon started to work with in so many ways. And, and it became infectious. And there was, it was, there was easily a lot of other artists in town who, who joined me in the efforts in those early days and quickly became a very large collaborative effort. And, uh, and then we made a bunch of shows together. And I worked with that company for a decade and all those, uh, those wonderful people. And uh, before, in, uh, at the turn of the century, sort of starting a smaller version, Blair Thomas and Company, because I wanted to work on smaller. The spectacle, Red Moon, as you may know, if you're in Chicago, turned into very large-scale spectacle work, which I loved. I loved the energy of that. The rehearsals were spent with a bullhorn in our hand, yelling at people across the field, our parking lot, or whatever it was, to run faster, faster with that puppet fat, you know. And I wanted to have something a little more intimate and so more immediate. And so I started to do some work that was of that nature. And it was very different. And I called that Blair Thomas and Company. And I did that for 15 years or so. And from that uh, emerged the idea of, of starting a puppet festival in mm. town. And there had been a couple of puppet festivals. People in Chicago may know of Puppetropolis. You can never forget that name if you were around in 2001 when not only the the one and only Mayor Daly got behind the city organizing a festival and he would show up to meetings with clippings of puppeteers in New York and say, bring this guy. You know, it was like, really? Yeah, there was this great moment at a, at a, at a press Mayor conference. <laughs> there was this gossip press conference where the, the, city, the city was announcing events and then someone called out, hey, I see you're doing a puppet festival. Is there anyone up there who knows anything about puppetry? And there was silence on the stage, and the mayor stepped up and said, well, actually, and then he started to talk about puppetry. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And uh, so that was in 2001, Puppetropolis, really great uh, festival. Uh, it had a, a, an idea of collaboration, and that was organized by the city, but it was all the, there was many venues that collaborated. So that idea of a collaborative festival was there. The, the in, institutions had participated. The Museum of Contemporary Art, uh, the Art Institute, uh, the Field Museum, uh, Lynx Hall, you know, large and small organizations. And so I just reignited that idea, really. 
Uh, and, uh, and I found people were readily available and interested in participating, institutions yeah. meaning. So, and, and I mean, I've been working in town for 30 years, and so they all knew who I was, and they felt confident in what I was, that I would, that I would lead it. And so, um, so that was in 2015, and we've done three complete festivals, and, and then uh, that was the before times, and now we're in the mid and moving to the after times, and we've uh, started, to, and we're having a festival in starting next week, well, um, on Thursday, the, the 20th of this month. It'll be our fourth edition of the Chicago International Puppet Theater Festival, and now we are North America's largest puppet festival. I'm proud to say it's very exciting, Amazing. and Chicago is the home and, and host for this event. So your background is theater, directing, producing, but you also have to be a little crafty because you were talking about <laughs> making your own puppets. You got to be and crafty it, in many ways. Is that kind of the background of the people that? that are attracted to this, and I'll ask Gerald too about that as well. <laughs> yes, very much so. Uh, puppetry allows uh, people to have a, a lot of different uh, uh, modes of expression. So, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. We're in the fourth floor of the Fine Arts Building, which is uh, the floor that the Chicago Little Theater was housed in, in before World War One, before the last pandemic, and uh, in that fest, in that festival, in that theater, uh, Ellen von Volkenberg, the husband of Maurice Brown, who was the director, they were a team to make it uh, the. The, the theater, and it became the first real established regional theater in North America. Regional theaters like Goodman and Stepanoff, those are regional theaters. And they, uh, uh, well, Ellen wanted to stage a Midsummer's Night's Dream with marionettes and have actors re uh, reciting the lines, <clears throat> and they did that in this building. And uh, when she got to the point where she had to uh, accredit the performers, calling them showmen, which was the term you would use, did not seem, it, it was uh, suitable to what their talents were requiring. Being uh, able to deliver lines, Shakespeare texts at that, and manipulate the puppets. And so she invented the term puppeteer. Mm -hmm. As a muleteer is someone who drives a mule, a puppeteer will be someone who drives the puppet. And so that lore of that story is uh, very inspiring to us and why we are sitting in this building right now. Um, you know, the Fine Arts Building, if anyone's ever been here, it's a full of chock full of dreamers. It's, it's of another era. It was, it, it was conceived by, by people at the end of the 19th century, and it still has the same mission to, to house and cultivate art and uh, a variety of different arts. So we're super happy to be here and uh, in, in this space. Where the word was coined. Yes, where the word was coined. That's amazing. Right. That's amazing. So I'll bring you in, Drell. Now, mm -hmm. tell me about yourself, first of all. I am originally from South Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, I, all of it, all the, the, short, the long and the short of it. Um, I, you can go long. It's fine. It's okay. a podcast. I'll <laughs> <laughs> we'll allow you to do that. I, I started in theater. Uh, uh, my mother wasn't sure what to do with me, <laughs> so she put me in an acting class. Um, and this was when I was seven years old, so this is in 88. Um, and, uh, I loved it, and it spoke to me, and, uh, I kept doing it. Uh, so theater went, I, I mean, I, I still do theater. I'm still a theater practitioner. I just direct now. I, I performed throughout my childhood. I went to, you know, undergrad for performance. I... Uh, moved back to Philadelphia after undergrad and became an acting apprentice at the Walnut Street Theater uh, in Philadelphia and, you know, understudied and performed uh, TYA, Theater for Young Audience uh, shows. 
And uh, while I was there, I began to teach theater. Um, that kept me from having to wait tables, mm-hmm. um, arts education. And so that was the direction that I went in. And then one day, the director, uh, Susan Quinn, who uh, I consider my theater mother, um, asked me if I ever thought about directing. And I hadn't. And she encouraged me to. And so I began to direct there. And then directing took off um, a few years later, I directed a play called Zoo Man and the Sign by Charles Fuller. It's one of the Negro Ensemble Company plays from that era, um, early 80s. Uh, this was in 08, 09. I directed Zoo Man and the Sign, uh, and that seemed to, that generated a whole new career. And so I began to direct theatrically, which brought me to Chicago. I moved to Chicago in 2011, 2012 to go to graduate school. I went to Northwestern. At Northwestern, um, there's a class called Toy Theater. Now, I've loved puppetry all of my life, but in the abstract, um, I was just talking to someone else. I remember the day Jim Henson died in 1990. I was in fourth grade, and I was home from school that day. I was sick. He and Sammy Davis Jr. died on the same day. And I remember the newscaster announcing that. I loved Sesame Street. I loved The Muppet Show. I loved all of the Muppet movies. But it never occurred to me that I could be a puppeteer because it wasn't something that I saw. There was no, first of all, I was the only like artist, artist in my family. Art in my family up until that point was singing in church, which most of us did, including myself. It's where I started singing. Um, but no one was like, there's no dance. And certainly no one was a puppeteer. Like we had puppet shows at home with brown paper bags, but that's as far as it went. Um, but in this toy theater class, um, I wanted to experiment with a puppet show. I did an adaptation of Hamlin, uh, of the Pied Piper of Hamlin that I called Hamlin. Um, and because of my history as an African-American artist, because of I, uh, uh, an undergrad, in my late teens, early 20s, I started studying black theater and film history. Um, Friday was a very emotional day for me because Sidney Poitier became my idol when I was in college. Mm. Um, I studied his films and I studied his life and I fell in love with the man and, uh, you know. The mission. The mission. Yeah. The mission. Be true to yourself and useful to the journey. That's what yep. he said. Um, so because of my history and, you know, some of the chips on my shoulder and, so, you know, what it means to be a black person in this country, my version of Hamlin took a look at uh, what Hollywood had done to African-American artists and performers in the, the beginnings of Hollywood. Um, a lot of black and brown actors weren't even credited for the work that they did. Um, and they were cheated, and, you know, there's a story of Bill Bojangles Robinson, who, like, all he wanted to do was not have to be a butler and dance. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's in this film, I believe it's called Cafe Metropole, but I'm not positive, or that's where he was dancing, um, and he's in Tucks and Tails, and the scene gets cut out of the film. So he thinks he's about to make history, and... They don't want to show an African-American man looking dapper and successful during the Great Depression. Um, So they cut it. Um, And so this is a history that's lived inside of me for a while. Um, And so I wanted it to be a uh, uh, to generate something that had to do with that. Like I wanted I wanted to tell the story to Pie Piper of Hamlin, but I wanted to hold America accountable or at least 
the elements of American society, if that makes sense. And so I based the Pied Piper off of Bojangles, John Bubbles, who originated the role of sport in life, and Porgy and Bess. He always wore the derby. Incredible dancer. He invented dancing on the heel and the toe. Because before him, if you watch Bojangles, he's just on his toes. Mm. John Bubbles reinvented that, and it's now, that's the direction that it went in. And, um, and Sammy Davis Jr. And... I was looking at the kind of puppetry because I had never done puppetry before, <laughs> ever. I'd never created a puppet show. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm studying and I'm looking and um, I come across a company called Shadowlight Productions, which is in San Francisco, and they do large-scale shadow puppetry, mm. movie theater screen. I, I worked with them a few summers ago. The screen that they would use is the length of this room. Wow. And it's huge. So that uh, not only are you working with inanimate objects as puppets, the body can become a puppet. And so they created this kind of double mask that you can put on your head that looks like a face in shadow. And you can use the puppet face but operate the rest of your body so that you've created this new kind of puppet. And so that's the kind of, that's the kind of show I wanted to do. So we built a seven by seven frame by we, I mean, friends of mine who knew what they were doing. I watched and stapled. <laughs> I stapled, I stapled, but I did not build you the frame. It's good. Um, <laughs> and it went well and I loved it. And then it kind of went off to the side. During the pandemic, theater shuts down and I'm at a crossroads because what am I going to do? All I've done is theater. Um, and I knew I didn't want to focus on streaming plays. Um, it just didn't interest me as much. And I always said I would go back to puppetry when I had the time. Now you do. <laughs> I now had you did. nothing but time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I spent, I spent the year 2020 just starting to get my hands dirty. I, I bought a, I didn't know what I was doing. I just looked up a bunch of puppet material Things that I had heard about, words about, I just bought a bunch of stuff and I just started working. Every morning I would wake up at five o'clock and create something. Hmm. Not a story, not a movie, just something. Um, and the more I worked with puppetry, the more, and I was posting it on social media. So people began to see that I was doing this, which led to people being like, oh, I didn't realize you did puppetry. What about working on this? So I was invited to create a short puppet film with Chicago Children's Theater that came out on Dr. King's birthday last year called Diamond's Dream. Because uh, Jackie, the artistic director, saw that I was doing this and she was like, well, we can't have live theater. I had just directed the Very Hungry Caterpillar show live right before the pandemic. That's right, with Jay. <laughs> and so I began to do puppetry and Blair. I met Blair. Well, I, I, his, I saw his work before I met him um, at Looking Glass, at, I believe, The Good Men, and the Chicago International Puppet Festival, if I can give a quick plug. When I moved <laughs> back to Chicago in 2017, because I went away to, to teach for a year, um, I didn't even know anything about it, but I just saw it was a puppet festival, so I started going. I just, I just, I wanted to be there. And it blew my mind. I mean, I just had never seen a whole culture of different kinds of puppetry. I saw Blair, I'm jumping around. I saw Blair at one of the events and I never do this, but I walked up to him and I was just like, my name is Jarrell Henderson. I'm a theater director. I was taught by Jessica Levis at Northwestern. 
and I want to work with you. I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know when. Do you remember this? I do. Yeah, yeah, I do remember this, yes. But I want, <laughs> I'm saying it. <laughs> I want this to happen. He was very forthright. Well, his enthusiasm <laughs> had to get him the job right away, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I remembered. During the pandemic, um, Blair reached out uh, and was kind of like, hey, are you working on anything? And so he was, I mean, he... He made time to talk through ideas. No one had done that before. Like you can't understand if you, when you come from an environment where like you have to find every outlet, there are very few outlets coming to you. So when a person that you look up to makes time for you to listen through your ideas, especially the ones that you're like, all right, I don't know where you're going with that, or that's not clear at all, you know, because it's all clear in my head and Blair's like, I don't know what you mean. But what about this? He made time and we worked through some ideas and I am the bear. What became I am the bear came out of that. Um, I am the bear being the piece that I'm going to perform uh, four or five years ago, I was walking to a job in Wilmette, Illinois, uh, where I worked, and I was stopped while walking by the police. I was just walking to my job like a responsible citizen does. Um, and I was stopped and questioned, and she used the phrase, the police officer used the phrase, you fit the description. And I've heard that all of my life. I actually want a t-shirt that says that, mm -hmm. I fit the description. Um... And it probably changed, well, I don't want to say it changed your life, but it certainly put you on a new trajectory for this, for this piece as well, right? Yeah, it really messed up my mind. I, I'll, I won't use the language that I usually yeah, use, yeah. but it really, really messed me up inside because I understood, um, as, as uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates points out, uh, in Between the World and Me, like, really what she was saying was, I can do whatever I want to you. That's what that means. You fit the description is an insanely vague term. But if she had, if, if, if she wanted, she could have killed me. And that would have been enough to justify my murder, even as I'm walking to work. And that's just really messed up. But it's the reality that I find myself in because my skin is brown. Hmm. So that lived in my head, working through puppetry, gave me an outlet, and so I Am the Bear began as a shadow puppetry piece. When I began to talk to Blair, it took another step into hand puppetry, and that was really Blair being like, well, have you thought about doing it this way? Have you thought about, you know, so I did it as a shadow puppetry piece, I did it as a toy theater piece, that did not go well. <laughs> <laughs> At all. But hey. It listen. just needed a little attention. Okay, so... <laughs> It was a monologue, though, high right? Hopes. Did it start out as a monologue? <laughs> no, it never oh, okay. started out. It okay. started out as a shadow puppetry piece. Okay. Very primitive. Wow. Very primitive. That's, a, that's you know that's a big topic. Yeah. To creatively uh, put it together in that manner, so I'm sure you did have to work through it, so it is effective, so people can hear your message and figure out what you're trying to say. So let's talk about the evolution of mm -hmm. that and how it ended up as a film. Absolutely. So uh, it starts with Blair uh, investigating some of the ideas that I had that I was working through at home during this pandemic yeah. that we had, this opportunity, right? Because that's, it's, it is a hard time in all of our collective lives and memories, but it could also be an opportunity if we saw it that way, even as it was also very challenging and, and frightening. 
So uh, Blair was the one who suggested a hand puppet. Okay, you can bring him on if you'd like. Uh, yeah, and you can describe. Uh, actually, this is back up a little bit. It's deceptive oh. when you say hand puppet because people think of a hand puppet. Oh, right, right. How, how would I? Well, it, hand and mouth is hand technically mouth. the term, which is like, well, that just sounds a little weird to say okay. hand and mouth. But puppeteers, Let's describe we describe that. Blair. So uh, Muppets are hand and mouth. So okay. the puppeteer has their hand in the puppet's mouth, uh, and in the case of the Muppet, it's operated from bef- be- from below, um, and uh, uh, it's the thing about. Any hand puppet or a hand and mouth puppet is that there's, it's called direct manipulation. And direct manipulation means that the puppeteer's hand is directly on the body of the puppet and can make the puppet be very, very quickly responsive. There's not a pole, a rod, a string in between the puppet and the puppeteer, right? And so in this piece, I think it was very important that there was, there was an immediate responsiveness of the puppet to what Jarrell was talking about, right? And so I, I and and also I w- it was really clear to me as Jarrell was telling the story. It's like Jarrell, you you are in this piece. Like this story is is you are, you embody the story. You, you half of the story is your presence in the on the piece, right? And so and he was and he finally he was like, okay, I got it. Yeah, yeah. because I don't want to be on stage. That's why I stopped acting. Um, you know, I, I've been afraid and intimidated by it. I haven't done it in years. And so when we were originally developing this like when I performed this as a shadow piece you didn't see me um and that was it and I could hide it and so Blair was the one that was just like nah man like the piece is you dude like come (laughs) on and the thing is you know I you know I I know my mind and I know what I want I have no trouble saying no but I also recognize when something's working and the second I put my arm inside of this bear and begin to bring it to life it's like, that's what it is. Well, real quickly, the description of what the puppet is. Yeah. So oh, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. around three or four feet tall, and it is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fully a replicated fur bear. It's, it's designed and built by artist Katie Shavak, mm-hmm. uh, one of the artists in the Chicago Puppet Studio, and uh, extremely talented. And uh, so Katie nailed it. And uh, she worked with Jarrell on Jarrell wanting certain qualities of the character, but uh, he has arms and legs. He wears a, a baseball cap backwards like Jarrell like himself. <laughs> oh, and he has a bag. Yeah, he also has a bag that he's carrying, like, okay. so he's on his way to work. I carrying a bag when I was walking to work. Okay. So, but Jarrell's able to, with, with, with one free hand, uh, operate the mouth of the, of the bear. And with the other hand, uh, he can operate the, the, the arms merely by picking them up and moving them. So, okay. And then he's able to create the sense that the bear is walking and gesturing. Yeah. Now, does the bear, is, you, is it your voice? Does the bear have a voice? Is it your voice? It's my voice. The okay. bear's voice is my voice. And, and you narrate I'm, this? That is absolutely okay. correct. Yeah. I'm not a ventriloquist, and I'm yeah. not interested in trying to pretend sure. like I'm one. Um, however, it was really cool because even with using my own voice and the bear's voice in terms of where I look and my focus and the bear's fo- focus, it's always clear when I'm speaking as myself, the narrator, and when the bear is speaking as a character version of myself. Okay. Because really what I'm doing is, I'm, I mean, it is a monologue. I don't see it that way when I'm performing it. It's a dialogue. But the truth is, it's a dialogue with myself because the bear is the version of myself that the world sees. When I look in the mirror, I see me. I've always seen me, right? Because I was taught to believe that I'm a human being. I was taught to believe that I'm beautiful. I was taught to believe that I have something to offer this world. 
But that's not what the world sees. And the, the more you grow, you know, my nephew just turned 16 and I have to have a conversation with him to be like, okay, here's the deal. The world now sees you as a man, which means that all of the whatever passes the world was willing to give you when you were a cute little black kid, for the most part, have now gone out the window. And when they look at you now, they're going to see a warrior. It doesn't matter who you are, what your personality is, Mm -hmm. which is some of the things that I get to at the end of I Am the Bear, you know? I've worked since I was 17. Both of my parents have worked all of their lives. My siblings have worked all of their lives. We go to church, or we did. I don't anymore. (laughs) You know what I mean? But I was raised in church. I was raised with, like, ethical, all-American values. But when when a lot of people see me, all they see is the potential for danger and the potential for destruction simply because my skin is darker. And so the bear becomes a representation of that, that part of me that is stuck in the nightmare of always having to be on guard because those with the power to end my life have been given by society justification to end my life by empty phrases like you fit the description. It is a nightmarish paradox that we are trapped in. There was no siren. I saw the cop car pull up as I walked past. I saw it stop. Why today? Not today. Is this the day? I hear a voice. Excuse me, sir. I stop. I make a conscious decision to not take my hands out of my pockets. I turn. My hands are still in my pockets. Why did I decide to do that? It's stupid, stupid, stupid. We've gotten a report of someone banging on windows. My eyes roll. You fit the description. My brain splits. The conversation continues. I just got off the train. I'm walking to work. Well, I just wanted to make sure that no one needed any help, but all I really heard was you fit the description. You fit the description. You fit the description. And I am beyond annoyed. Like, lady, why are you bothering me when I'm just trying to walk to work? No, I wasn't banging on windows. I I remember the old man. I'm guessing somebody called the cops on him, but wait, I fit the description? And so hopefully by telling this story, it calls awareness to it and it wakes people up. I hope the cop that stopped me has seen it. I hope she has. I hope she saw it on the news. I hope she saw me talking about it. Not because I think she's a horrible person, but she needs to understand what it means when you stop somebody for the sake of stopping somebody. She had no reason to stop me. Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing anything, you know? Anyway, anyway. What was the reaction to this? To the story? Yes. And the the bear, this is such an unusual way of of mixing artistry, puppetry, and social justice. Yeah. And that's unique. Yeah. Um, Fortunately, it's been really, really positive. Um, There was one... (laughs) was one email that we got um, last year that was a little questionable. Eh. Uh, what are you going to do? You yeah. know I mean? People are going to get the people. haters everywhere. They're, uh, absolutely. But for the most part, it's been really great. It's got a Good. really great reception. Um, and, and because it's film, it's something that most of my family in Philly and various parts of the country can't see the work that I create. Mm-hmm. But because it was film, that was the other gift of making it a puppet film. 
was that my mom got to see it. You know yeah. what I mean? My cousins got to see it. My nephews and my niece got to see it. You know what I mean? And what was their reaction? Oh, they they knew this happened to great. you, right? Did they oh yeah. Know? Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm vocal right. about I'm vocal. Right. <laughs> but but for folks who didn't don't know you and don't know what happened to you and they see yeah. this for the very first time, it's very um, it's more poignant, I think. Yeah. And you look at a puppet and you think, oh, furry puppet, and then you're realizing really what this is about. Yeah. And it, you kind of think, whoa, wait, this is not all happy and furry and. Puppety, no. whatever that means. And people forget that puppetry has the ability to do that. Mm -hmm. That puppetry, and, and it's weird because many, many artists throughout American history have proved that puppetry isn't just, um, isn't just for younger audiences, which again is not to uh, insult that form of puppetry, but that's not all there is. Yeah. Um, you can use puppetry to do a lot of really great, as you were saying, poignant, socially relevant, yeah. things. What's, um, but what's helpful is getting a community of people who are willing to help get you to that place. Um, and that was the thing. You know, I don't use grateful a lot. It always feels weird in my ear to be like, and I'm so grateful. Um, but I really, really am grateful because without Blair's guidance, he, I wouldn't have been able to figure out that thing that was inside of me that I can now go teach somebody else. You know what I mean? And that's the, com that's the community that I love here in Chicago, um, both in the theater and the puppetry community. You know what I mean? For someone who's going to take that time to help you develop the best in yourself. Great. And for sure, you know, what's so inspiring about working with Jarrell is his passion mm -hmm. and, and that he, he brings that front and center to the work. And, and uh, so it, 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 was, it was a pleasure to get to, to work on this project with him. It, it, to me, it's, it, seemed, it was so easy just to, to take uh, the, 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 the happy wedding of the form that he was interested in exploring and his passion and bring it, to, it and give it to him as something that he's has the capacity to to uh, to reengage through performance, and that's that. You know, the, the puppetry it, it reminds me that the form has this ability through its its long history through through ritual and ceremony to embody things that are are hard to speak and hard to to actualize and see that a human being just standing in front of other human beings doesn't actually have the capacity always to do and uh and so you know why is this work successful um the the bear functions we would say we would use a literary term and say it's a metaphor but in truth there's this other actuality is that it is a bear, it looks like a bear, and we have the presence of a bear. And then behind the presence of this bear is the man who is speaking, and he is telling this, this powerful story. And, and, mm -hmm. and, and so we hear and see Jarrell's presence through the, 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 and the anthropomorphized bear. And that's, that, is, that is a ritualistic idea. You know, it's, it's, he's brought something that, that our our, our society and country is having a hard time confronting. It's having a, it's almost, it can't, many people don't want to face it. When you face it, it's really ugly. It's really horrible. And so the, the, this artistry allows for it to become present in the space that a, a theater uh, provides and, and makes it uh, uh, something that we can engage with. And for that, it's it's a, such a welcomed gift that Jarrell brings. That's wonderful. And it, just one more really okay. quickly. It was healing. 
Which is the thing that I really, really want to end on. Because for me, it wasn't just navigating the frustration and the anger. I was When I say that it messed up my mind, I was furious. But where can you put that anger? You know what I mean? And a lot of times in the, in the black community, that anger gets turned back on the community. You know what I mean? You take it out on those who are closest to you because you can't take it out. You could, I couldn't take it out on that police officer in that moment. I can't take it out on the people at work. So it usually goes home, and I didn't want to do that. But I've been carrying that turmoil. And so the best part for me personally is that creating this piece allowed me to be able to lay that down. It now has a place it can live that's not inside of me. And I don't have to carry the ugliness of what happened to me with me for the rest of my life. It can live here. And that is powerful. And and for good. Now you can move on for good. Maybe there's other chapters you can do with this. Yes. (laughs) I can think about and create other things now. Yes. (laughs) So, yes, let's talk about the festival as a whole. There's there's many, many, many different, you mentioned at the beginning, the different kinds of puppetry. He talks about shadow puppering. Other thing is, I'm amazed by how many people not only do this for a living and come here and showcase it, but how elaborate and wonderful and creative it is. I mean, you think of shows like The Magic Flute, um, even the Lion King, and yeah, yeah. we saw Frozen the other day, and the reindeer, and the guy in the reindeer was yeah, amazing. Sure. Um, so you really not only invite creativity and just amazing, but you make puppets as well here. I know I, I just asked you a lot of questions sure. in one little <laughs> statement there. <laughs> but let's talk Which about the fact. I go? I know. Well, Blair, you can kind of open it up to, to tell us about this place, what you do here, and the different people that will be coming to showcase their work at the festival. Yeah, I think that's the, that's where I'd love to talk about because, you know, what Drill so successfully does is with his piece uh, can be seen in our neighborhood tour, which is moving around uh, in different locations throughout uh, the festival. And so uh, people can, if you go to our website, you can see these locations for these free public performances. He's part of a lineup of work that includes Ty Defoe, who's an indigenous artist who's uh, uh, doing a work as well as uh, Joshua Holden who is a former Chicago artist who's doing also an excellent piece that's the neighborhood tour but you know this I this form that he takes where he he's able to put Jarrell is able to put so much into this puppet and this puppet is able to then uh, address bring in a bigger idea into the room beyond uh, the the, the human scope um, can be found in, in a show like Chimpanzee which is opening on the first weekend, which tells this beautiful story, uh, uh, beautifully tells a very tragic story, I should say, of how uh, chimpanzees were uh, chosen to be raised in a human household, and then that didn't that experiment didn't work out, and they so then they were put into captivity, and and so we get the perspective from of the chimpanzees uh, now in captivity remembering what it was like to be in a have liberty and be in a, a home and there's not a spoken word it's a, it's a very similar style puppet but there's three manipulators on it it's called the bunraku style of puppetry it's a japanese form and it's done exquisitely but again the puppet becomes this sort of metaphor uh but it's but it's a beautiful work that's happening at the uh cervantes institute the first weekend or the last weekend a very large performance by the bread and puppet theater which is one of the most renowned companies in the United States, 60 
years of history and uh, uh, doing spectacle work like everyone at Red Moon. We we were all walking in the in the footsteps of the bread and puppet, the great bread and puppet theater, and they have taken on staging their own staging of uh, Aeschylus's The Persians, which is really like the first Western drama written. Uh, uh, from the perspective of the the vanquished of the war, so the Persians lost to the Greeks, and so Aeschylus was asked to write a, a play to celebrate that. And so instead he wrote a story about how the Persians suffered when they lost the war that they fought against the Greeks. And But in that case, the Persians was a huge army, and they, they should have... De- stomped on the Greek army, and they didn't. They were defeated. And so is there a narrative for a nation that, that's great that somehow finds itself defeated by smaller nations in battle? We'll leave that sentence to be wondered by the audience when they yeah. see the work, but it's, it's a, it, there's an astounding new venue in Chicago called the Epiphany Center for the Arts. It's a former church on Ashland Avenue that's been converted into a, an arts uh, venue, and uh, it's been mostly music, but we're presenting the Bread and Puppet there, and, and uh, their work calls upon this great ceremony, a great mixture of beautiful music, some of, of, of Bach's St. Matthew's Patchens, along with very raucous noise, as well as a very beautiful singing. Uh, excellent, excellent company, uh, bread, and com- bread and Puppet. Uh, and then there are, sh- there, we have almost 100 performances, so I can't go through oh, them all okay. right now. Over but 10 days, correct? Yes, over 10 days. Okay. From the 20th of January through the 30th, we have hmm. work. So, okay. Yeah. And I want to touch on, lastly, what you do here in this office. You told me sure. a couple of projects you've got going on that are super cool. Yeah, 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 for sure. We have, uh, so uh, outside of making the festival, mm-hmm. which is has been every two years and is now becoming an annual okay. event. So Chicago can now count on having this festival happen the last two weeks of January every year. You have One of the commitment. largest of its kind yes, in the nation. It, yes, I want to yes. note that for sure. And um, uh, yeah, Jarrell's <laughs> news. I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 how about it, huh? Oh my God, that's <laughs> incredible. There you go, that's the response. We love his reactions, right? <laughs> so continue. Yes, and we, uh, so with the two other things that we're doing, uh, one is that we're offering classes in different puppet techniques, and uh, uh, in in the true pandemic style, we have them online, but we also have them in person here at our studio in four three three in the Fine Arts Building, and those are like shadow puppetry, toy theater, uh, a cranking scroll puppetry. We have uh, three person puppetry, uh, many different kinds. In fact, in the middle of our festival on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, uh, the last week of the month, we are offering classes being taught by the artists who are coming in for the festival. So there's exceptional artists who are will be convening for this 10 days, and some of them will be teaching classes, and uh, uh, highly recommended. Those those are really going to be exciting. But, so we're doing educational things. We want that's to... That's ed- beyond the festival. Yes, that's beyond. So that'll, they'll January be in the spring. And February and beyond. Come in the spring, and then the summer and the fall, these classes will be happening. And then the third thing we do is we're th- we are what we call the Chicago Puppet Studio, designing and fabricating puppets for other people's productions. Very cool. And so, Jarrell uh, referred to the, the things at the Looking Glass Theater. We've had a, an excellent relationship with that company, and, and uh, they're very uh, 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 susceptible to puppetry. So good. <laughs> so good. Yeah, yeah. I tell you yeah, these yeah. shows. Mary, <laughs> so good. Really got, fun making puppets with Mary Zimmerman, he was talking about. Yeah. And, and, and you've got, and other, you do outside of Illinois, of course. You've yes, got something going on yeah. for in, in Atlanta? Yeah, yeah we just yeah. did the, the puppets for 
the uh, the Christmas Carol at the Alliance Theater in Atlanta, which is kind of like the Goodman of the Atlanta, you know, and and, and we have a, a production uh, happening in, in New York, uh, and we're doing a, a puppet opera in a, in in Detroit at, through the Detroit Institute of Arts, okay. and uh, and then Ashland, uh, Oregon Shakespeare is doing a, a Cymbeline that's going to have that you've always got to solve that scene at the end in the Cymbeline <laughs> with with all the crazy things that happen, and so we're doing some shadow puppetry for that. Could you have ever thought that balloon made out of Piper Roche <laughs> would lead to this? Uh, yeah, it, it seemed like it was obviously going to do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> it seems so simple, but yet look at what you're talking about right now. Uh, yeah, well, it's it's super exciting that that you know Chicago is an exceptional town. Uh, we have uh, the people who go to the theater here live here. The, the tourists, it's not dependent on tourists to see the theater. And so there's an incredible theater community. And uh, uh, so it's a great benefit. And it's an affordable city. You can actually live and, and while you're figuring out your art making. And this has been obvious in many different fields. And uh, I'm just really interested in, in, in cultivating puppetry, cultivating the field of puppetry in North America, and letting Chicago be one of the centers of that. Great. Now, lastly, tell people how to get tickets, the information, sure. all the different venues, that, and the times will be on the website, I'm assuming. Yes, yes. Well, it, all the tickets can be bought at chicagopuppetfest.org. That's chicagopuppetfest.org. Dot o -R -G. Yeah, and you, you can do? you can see all the stuff that I've just described, uh, and you can find out the addresses and dates for the places where you could see Jarrell do his excellent work, as well as uh, all the other shows that we got right. going down. Gentlemen, this has been fun. Yes. Right? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank so you, much. Blair Thomas and Jarrell L. Henderson. And we're talking about the Chicago International Puppet Theater Festival, which will be January 20th through the 30th. It's been a pleasure. Have a wonderful run. Thank you Thank so you. much. And tell the bear I said hi. Coming up next week on Backstage Chicago, if considered one of the greatest orchestras in the world and one of the oldest in the United States, we visit Symphony Center and talk to the musicians of the CSO who make the magic. We talk about the ensemble's storied history, its longtime summer home at Ravinia, and its impact on the world's arts and culture. Listen on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly 